This is the Registry Podcast. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Real Perspectives Podcast, where we dive deep into the world of real estate and uncover the strategies, trends, and stories that shape the industry. I'm your host, Vladimir Bosanets, and today we have a special guest with us who has made a significant impact in the realm of real estate investment. Joining us today is Bill Shopoff, the visionary founder and CEO of Shopoff Realty Investments. With decades of experience, Bill has become a driving force in the real estate industry, consistently demonstrating his unwavering commitment to excellence and innovation. Throughout his career, Bill has been at the forefront of transformative projects, from residential communities to commercial developments, hospitality ventures to land entitlements. His expertise spans multiple sectors, enabling him to adapt to changing market dynamics and deliver exceptional value. In today's episode, we have the privilege of delving into Bill's insights, gaining valuable knowledge from his vast reservoir of experience. So without further ado, let's welcome Bill Shopoff to the show. Bill, good morning. How are you? I'm good. Excellent. Where do we find you today? Where are you? I'm, I'm in my office in Irvine, California. Excellent, excellent. Is the company uh, mostly back, or are you guys still uh, exploring some of this, uh, you know, back and forth in terms of uh, you know having uh, some flexibility with where people are? We're we're mostly back. In fact, we were mostly back within six or eight weeks of the shutdown. Oh, okay. We were, All right. Excellent. We're, we're we're deemed a critical business in California uh, because we're involved in the housing business. Yes. We also financial services uh, branch of the company. And so both of those allowed us to come back. We didn't come fully back, but uh, today we're, uh, everybody comes back some and most come back all. So yeah, we're, we're, we're a believer rightly or wrongly that uh, uh, commerce gets done uh, through relationships and uh, education for our employees happens here. And so we, we, we're still allowing some flexibility. We're, we're definitely have. A number of people on hybrid, but uh, I'm, a, I'm a fan of in-person. I think there are a lot of businesses that, that will be able to continue to work hybrid and, or, or work completely. Remote. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but, I, but I don't think that's generally the plan for most companies. Yeah, agreed, agreed. And that's certainly something that we're also experiencing. Um, although it is, it is interesting that, um, um, that, you know, there is a new paradigm just in terms of flexibility and sort of how people sort of behave with work, I think going forward. And anyway, that can be a whole other sort of conversation. So I I won't uh, get into too much detail there. Um, Bill, by way of introduction, um, would you mind telling us, um, you know, a little bit about yourself, uh, tell us a little bit about sort of, you know, how you, um, got to where you are today, you know, your sort of background in the industry and, um, you know, a little bit about shop off in general. Certainly. I appreciate that opportunity. Um, I am today president and CEO of shop off realty investments, a firm that I founded along with three partners, uh, 31 years ago under a different brand name, but I bought the over time, bought that company out and uh, rebranded with the shop off brand. But, I began my real estate career in Austin, Texas, I guess about 45 years ago now. Uh, while I was getting my master's, uh, my MBA at, at the University of Texas, and uh, when Austin was still a pretty sleepy town, and uh, thought I'd you know pick up some spare cash while I was going to graduate school and 
never had any intention of being in the real estate profession, you know, as a career. Uh, but by the time I graduated, I was making as much money part-time as a, a realtor uh, than I would have uh, going to work, you know, with my finance and accounting background. Yeah, okay. <laughs> so, uh, so I said, well, we'll give it a go and see if it works. And you know, 45 years later, it's still working okay. So, Yeah, and tell us a little bit about the company. So um, uh, you are based in Southern California, but obviously the company is, you know, active around the country. Uh, tell us where are your geographical boundaries and also what, what sort of uh, types of um, food groups, if you will, you guys service as well. So we're, we're, we're active across the country uh, and have been. I mean, I think over the course of the history of the company, we've probably bought assets in 25 or 30 different states. Uh, today, we own assets from, you know, a heavy concentration here on the West Coast, California, Nevada. Uh, Arizona, but we do own things all the way to, um, you know, Charlotte. Uh, we own in in the Midwest, in you know Minneapolis, Chicago, Dayton, Ohio. Uh, we were just in and out of a transaction, bought and sold a transaction in the in the Dallas market. Uh, but I would say our focus today, we think there's plenty to do. Uh, mostly Western U.S., uh, so say Texas and Texas and West, and uh, heavy concentration here in California. Yeah, in our surrounding states, and in the food groups, well, we're a little bit unique. We we actually own all product types. Uh, you know, there's a lot of people that just do one thing, and uh, because we cut our teeth in the business buying distressed debt or defaulted debt from the uh, Resolution Trust Corporation or RTC, which was a governmental entity set up to clean out the savings and loans uh, in, the, in the 80s and 90s. Uh, we became pretty adept at a lot of different things. Um, I would say we have a focus today on a few, but we are willing to tackle others. We own office, we own retail, uh, we're own, own and develop industrial, uh, we're involved in multifamily, and in fact, we're involved in developing uh, developing and entitling hospitality today. So it's a pretty a pretty varied uh, group of things we do. But I think we're, you know, we, we find ourselves focusing from time to time on one or two of those things. Yeah. The um, one of the features of the last cycle, I would argue, was this um, unbelievable kind of um, you know, set up where all the food groups, all the sort of parts of the commercial real estate industry were, were doing really well. And I, I imagine at that point, it was probably difficult to figure out where to allocate resources. But, but I imagine that's a little different these days. Um, are there any parts of, um, of the commercial real estate space that, you know, you're, you're more interested in right now? Well, I think housing, both rental and for sale housing, as well as uh, industrial logistics, are areas that still seem to have some some momentum behind them. I, I think housing is a little bit, you know, it's, it's very uh, all things real estate's real estate's you know market specific. So, I th and I think this cycle that we're in will be uh, maybe a little bit like cycles I would have seen, you know, ten or fifteen years ago that were more geographic in nature where one part of the country may suffer a little more than others. Whereas during the great financial crisis, there was 
pretty universal suffering. Yeah. Um, you, you know, there were some areas that weathered a little bit better, but there was generally universal suffering. I think this will be, you know, more spotty uh, for sale product here in Southern California. Very uh, active marketplace. Um, not a lot in the resale market. So the home building market is taking greater market share and the home builders have been very active buyers. So we, we're, we, we produce lots for home builders is one line of our business. Uh, we like that. I think the, I think the multifamily rental space will be again, site specific. I think there will be some pressure on some transactions. Uh, and I don't know that they'll, I don't know that they'll sell what I consider to be distressed pricing, but likely to be more opportunistic pricing. Yeah. Going to be some, there's going to be some forced selling uh, over the next six to 18 months, I would say. Uh, you, you've already seen some foreclosures that have been kind of um, pressworthy. Uh, there was a, there was a large foreclosure, uh, 3000 units uh, down in the Houston market recently that made the, made much of the, of the press uh, because it was just a large scale deal. But Class C product in the Houston market uh, with a syndicator who kind of grew up and grew very quickly and, you know, looks like they got over their skis a little bit. Yeah. Um, so that's, that, that happens every cycle. And you know, particularly if you see a, you know, an effective doubling of interest rates, um, I think that, uh, you know, that's, um, that's going to put pressure on people. And, you know, I wouldn't say we're not feeling any pain from it because that would be, you know, completely a misstatement of, of, of facts. But I think, you know, hopefully, maybe because I've been around a long time and, you know, began the business with hair and don't have it anymore. Uh, I've been through a few cycles <laughs> that hopefully I'm going to learn from those cycles and, 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 and have a, a better action plan. That doesn't mean I have a plan for every single asset to be successful. That's not possible. Yeah, yeah, sure. Some, some of the things, some of the things that we're involved in, uh, you know, we we have some anxiety about today. Yeah, but generally speaking, we feel like our portfolio is in very good shape, and we feel like we have a good action plan for everything that we own, even those that are not going to do great. We still have a good business plan for how we're going to do, you know, better than our competitors, and that's what that's. That's all we can do. Uh, we can't uh, we can't ignore the tide some days, but we can put ourselves in the best possible position to manage through it. Given um, your experience, obviously, with uh, the industry over the last several decades, and as as you said, in the sort of you know different parts of the industry, as 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 well, um, give us sort of what's happening, kind of on a macroeconomic. Um, you know, landscape in the in the country and across the world. Um, you know, how how would you characterize you know the market today? And you know, maybe if if you wouldn't mind giving us a little bit of a you know perspective. You know, uh, and, and you touched upon this a little bit, but maybe just sort of some of the big drivers in terms of you know office, multifamily, industrial. You know, things things like that, and maybe not necessarily things that are obvious, but some of the things that you notice um, that maybe doesn't get as much coverage. Well, I think there's a couple of things going on. Obviously, rising interest rates, and that's not a direct impact, but certainly a corollary to cap rates. And in, 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 in as cap rates rise, values fall. There's an inverse relationship with those two things. 
And so you, you've seen some, you know, price compression. Uh, it, it hasn't been as, in some product types, not as severe as one people, as some people thought. For example, on housing, housing, we, you know, on for sale housing, we had a super dramatic increase, you know, during COVID. Uh, and it wasn't sustainable. These, these were not rates that were sustainable. Um, so you had a pullback. So you had a big rise last year. By, and then there was a, there was a, a pivot point at the at the mid year, and in many markets you saw a give back in the second half of the year that was you know roughly equal to the gain in the first half of the year. So and, th- and those gains were pretty big in the first half of the year. So you'd have people saying, "Wow, we, we're, we're you know we're fifteen or twenty percent off the peak," but you know a handful of properties traded at that peak number. Yeah. So you know if you really look back and say, "Great values fell back to." you know, beginning of 2022, end of 21, and we've, and we've kind of created a new state stability. There's not a lot of people impacted by that, you know, negative equity situation. So, you know, the housing market in my mind is, is much more stable. First of all, you've got a substantial number of buyers, you know, homeowners who a had to really qualify unlike in the, in the, in the, you know, lead up to the great financial crisis, crisis, they, you know, they actually qualify for their homes. They have extremely low rates. And, you know, I don't know the precise number. I saw a stat the other day. But I, I think roughly 70% of those people who have a mortgage, maybe a little higher, who have a mortgage are, are sub 4%. Uh, and, and a high percentage of those, sub 3%. So if, if you've got a mortgage at three or under, you know, although in, in classic accounting sense, that mortgage is a liability. But I would argue that that mortgage is actually an asset. Yeah, yeah. Is that if, if you've got a 2.5% rate, you have an asset because, because it is worth more to you than it is to the bank. The bank would love for you to pay them off. And so what you've seen is is a reluctance of, of, of people to move up because – you know, they're not only moving up in price, they're moving up in rate. And, and so their payment's going to go up dramatically. Now, that that only works for a period of time because once you have so much equity, you know, the equity relative to your debt becomes a, a challenge. You know, I, I, have, I have a couple of people that are working for me. and You have one of them that's literally locked in at 2%. Well, it sounds like you'd never, ever move if you have 2%. <laughs> right. But ultimately, that that mortgage becomes a relatively small amount of the total value stack of the house. And, and let's say you financed and you had a 70% loan to value when you bought, but you have a couple of years of appreciation, maybe you have a 40% loan to value and, and you get a transfer. You might you might sell because it's your particular, if you transfer from a high cost market to a low cost market, even though your mortgage rate's going up, the amount of house you're getting is more per dollar. Sure. So I, I think that's going to be, you know, it's going to play out. But but I think how it's played out is that less people are selling in the resale market. And, and, and so, you know, new home construction is taking a greater percentage. So that's, that's one thing we see. Another, that we, you know, is a big topic is, is, is the impact. A lot of people want to talk about the impact of work from home on the office market. I think there's two things at play on the office market that are causing disruption in the, in, in the, you know, the valuation of office space. You know, one is clearly work from home. 
is there are some businesses that just aren't going to need as much space today. And, you know, I've heard numbers, I mean, you know, I don't, I don't know the veracity of these numbers. So I'll just re re repeat them as anecdotes, uh, not to be fact. Uh, but I think they're directionally correct. Uh, New York City could be, uh, New York City's a market with roughly 400 million square feet of office space. And, you know, one of my advisors has told me they, they believe that market to be uh, 200 million square feet over oversupplied. Wow. Okay. So think, think about walking down the street and every other office building needs to go away. I don't know if that's accurate, but let's just say they're wrong. Let's just say it's 25% have to go away. That's a lot. It's a lot of value lost. Uh, you know, you just saw a building trade in, in San Francisco that was a, you know, an expectation of value two years ago of $700 a foot. Right. <laughs> and it traded for 220. Right. And, and, and candidly, I'm not sure 220 is a good deal or a bad deal. I can't tell from here. And I think that's the dilemma is I don't think it's just the fact that, um, you know, we, we've got less users, but also I think we've had a period of, of, of a lot of inflation on costs. And in, 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 in other product types, rents have moved with inflation or above inflation. But in the office market, rents have not in every market moved. You know, in the high flying markets, you've seen good, good rent growth. But in a lot of the markets, like here in Orange County, rents have stayed within a relatively small trading range for the last 20 years. Um, and it, well, inflation has run pretty regularly over that time period. And so inflation impacts your operating expenses, you know, your insurance, your property taxes, your you know, janitorial, all of those things go up in cost. And, and so maybe, Ten years ago, it was six or eight dollars a square foot to to maintain that office building, and today it's twelve to fourteen dollars a square foot. And then to do tenant improvements to build out the the office space, you know, we used to be able to build out office space, particularly second generation space. Let's say somebody's occupied a building before, and we're going to re reposition it for a new tenant. You know, we would have historically spent ten to twenty five dollars in many of the markets that we're in. Well, today you're spending, you know, 50 and above in first generation space, you're going to spend over a hundred dollars. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, it, at the rent levels of, of what I would call commodity office, you know, office is just not, there's nothing unique about it. Um, which is not where we are, by the way, we opted to move to a higher quality space because we think it was important for employee recruitment and retention. So I think that's going to be there's a, going to be a market of haves and have-nots in the office world, and if you've got generic office space, I think it's a race to the bottom to just you know try to secure a tenant with cheap rent, and I think the good quality businesses and the good quality buildings will match up, and and, and business owners will realize I have to pay a fair rent for that office space to survive and support my business. Um, and so the best operators will align with the, with the best product. And I think that's what you're seeing in the market today. Yeah. 
One other thing that we've seen in the office, and, and, and this is one anecdote, but one CEO made a comment this week that um, she also saw, saw a direct correlation between you know, public transportation and office uh, occupancy, meaning in markets where there's access to public transportation, um, it, the, the occupancy was higher. Have you noticed that with um, any of uh, you know the markets that you're in? Um, has that um, you know at, at all come across? I mean, the primary markets we're in are big public transportation markets. I mean, all of our California stuff, although there is sure. some public transportation, but we're you know we're drive two people. You can see behind me the uh, 405 freeway in this image, and uh, you know the only day, the only time I've never seen like a lot of cars actually this image doesn't even have a lot of cars on it um i happened to be going out for a bike ride on easter sunday uh during covid and i remember driving over the 405 i wasn't on the 405 but i crossed over it and it was eerie because i looked up and down and i saw two cars on the 405 so that's not a typical yeah uh and hopefully we never see that again but uh I, I think, look, office is going to get reimagined and re-engineered. Uh, businesses are going to learn to work hybrid. Uh, some will work completely remote. Um, but I think that, I, I think that, you know, people will seek good creative spaces where, where they feel productive for their team. And I think that's what we're going to see in the office space. But I, but I think if you look at where the rents are in some of these, commodity suburban buildings, there's just not a lot of money left for a return. After you get your rent, you have your vacancy, you pay your tenant improvements and leasing commissions. Uh, and that's why you're seeing these sales. And and I think there's a lot of buyers who are going to buy on a, you know, what I would call a price per pound. Yeah. You know, is is a belief that there's a price that's cheap enough to own and make a profit. And normally I've been a subscriber to that. I've bought a lot of property over my career. It, 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 what I would consider to be the price per pound buying theory. If you buy it cheap enough, you're gonna make money. I'm candidly not convinced on the office market that that's gonna work this time. I, I, I think there'll be some winners, but I think there may be some of these people that buy it to, you know, say the you know, market was at 300, you buy at 150, uh, thinking you made a great buy and it may not be a great buy. Yeah, That's interesting. Yeah, it's it's I I, I would I would you know sometimes you just can't tell from here, and it's and it's and my expression is it's is it's sometimes unknown and unknowable, and that may be one of those places for me is that, uh, and I and I think the capital markets are feeling the same as some of these deals are getting done, but when I survey. You know the capital providers. You know the, the debt and equity markets. There's not a lot of appetite to prove they're right. So that would tell me that maybe we're not at a bottom yet. Yeah. Now, what about uh, mixed use? Um, you know, retail, a reinvention of retail. Um, how how do you see those those markets? I retail. I mean, I'm, I we we own some retail, but I'm not a retail expert. But I can tell you, talking to my friends in the space. Retail's been um, a big surprise. I think people thought COVID, this could be the death knell for for, uh, for retail. 
the reality is, is that people still want to go and congregate and they want to buy products and services and they want to go to, you know, they want to go to restaurants and nightclubs. Uh, they want experience at retail. Uh, I, I don't know that, you know, retail is going to be about going to soft goods. Uh, you know, over my shoulder is, is uh, you know, the Westminster Mall and we own the, the anchor tenants, you know, to my left and right, which would be the, the Sears and the Macy's. And Macy's is still operating uh, for a period of time, but the Sears store there has been shut down for some period of time. And, um, you know, there's two other anchors, well, Target doing well and JCPenney's not doing as well. So I, I, I think, you know, we're going to have to, we're going to have to take these, these, you know, particularly the enclosed malls, which are very expensive to operate. And so the cost per rentable foot for the, you know, the, you know, the, the real rent cost for the user is extremely high because they're paying high operating expenses on top of their high rents. And I just don't think they're rationalizing the, 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 the uh, revenue stream today. So I think you're going to see people gravitate to a re-envision and, you know, what, what our vision is for uh, Westminster Mall, for example, is is to largely demolish the existing mall and, and start over with a new a new idea, new footprint, and, uh, you know, create, create something that, uh, um, you know, will work long term. Yeah, for. yeah. Yeah, tell us about that. So what what is the vision? Um, you know, what what does that reimagination look like? Well, I think if you look, uh, you know, at this, at this mall, what you see is a couple things. Well located, you see, you know, an urban area built up all around it in this aerial, and you see great access to transportation. You know, I've got good roads nearby and the 405 freeway is a feeder. So we looked at it and said, you know, what, what, what would it be if we had a clean slate here? Now, we don't have a completely clean slate, but what, what would it be if we didn't have to, to have this here? And so we've been working on that and we, you know, we'll come up with a plan that's, that's got, you know, a, a series of, of, of uses. We'll add hospitality. Uh, we'll add, a, you know, we'll add a hotel. We'll add a smaller footprint of, of retail, but hopefully higher value retail. It's more experiential. Uh, we've got a, a food hall. We've got some, some other retail. We've got some retail literally that'll sit in the park uh, where, you know, you can have a, food experience in the park, you know, have some urban green space, uh, and then largely residential with both rental and for sale housing uh, that's, that's, you know, re-envisioned for, you know, a new urban core. And I'll call it a suburban urban core because it's not urban. Sure. You know, so Orange County is still suburban, but it but has the, but it'll have these nodes that, that can become more urbanized and more dense to create really live live workplaces, live work play places. And I know it's a bit overused, but the reality is, is it's very popular. The 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 residents uh love it. They love that, that they can go and you know find a place to work nearby. Uh they gravitate to live there. They've got their shopping, they've got their entertainment, you know, they can go to their craft beer house. They can do all of these things that have been curated for them and have a very viable uh, lifestyle experience. Yeah, and that's that's very exciting. It um, I it, it sort of reminds me a little bit of like what you know Federal Realty has done up in San Jose with uh, their Santana Road project, 
where it's that you know you 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 have heard over the last decade live work play as kind of as overused but i think you're absolutely right i think there is still a lot of value there and i think people want places like that where they can experience they can meet they can do some work there right they can do other other things in it and it makes uh makes a lot of sense um is this something that you're also looking to do in other in other places yeah so we we've got um several other places we 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 also bought the former nordstrom's uh anchor in uh in the stone ridge mall in pleasanton california northern california And we have that envisioned to be, you know, could be all housing or could be a mix of housing and uh, life sciences, which is, you know, popular office need in the area. We've got a building that could be converted. Um, And then we've got another kind of more neighborhood center that we acquired and re-entitled and are now in the, you know, final stages of, of, uh, you know, demo and, and, and redevelopment. Uh, sale to a public home builder to do uh, housing on what used to be, you know, a, a neighborhood grocery anchorage center. And over time, that's that center lost its anchors and kind of lost its way. And when we acquired it, it was, you know, high vacancy, in poor repair, um, tenants weren't really thriving. And what we did was we consolidated to a smaller footprint of of retail space to create a more vibrant retail that remains and then bring in 113 home sites. And I think there'll be a very uh, viable place for people to live and we'll make the retailers that remain more successful by uh, shrinking the retail footprint. And I think that's what the retail market's really looking for. Yeah. How are the um, cities reacting to these plans? I mean, uh, I know they're always looking to sort of, you know, you know, create excitement around, you know, projects like like these. Have you found them to be open to these kinds of changes? Um, tell us kind of what what's your experience with that. Every city is a little bit different, but but generally we were finding that we are uh, welcome to bring our concepts to town. Uh, the city of Westminster has been awesome. Uh, they actually drove the planning process and created a specific plan, which is a unique zoning document to specific properties here in California. And so they created the Westminster Mall specific plan, which which is the guidelines for the redevelopment of the, of the mall. Right. So they took the lead on it. They invested the capital and said, developers, we're, we welcome you. Here's the foundational element that you should be looking at. Um, in Fullerton, it was a little bit different. And I would say, we were welcomed, but it took some time to become, to, to convince them to welcome yeah. us. Uh, you know, I think they liked the idea, but there was some neighborhood opposition in, in candidly in, in Fullerton, the state of California had enacted some legislation that we utilized to our advantage, which was a, a bill called AB 2011 that allowed the redevelopment of commercial sites into residential with some streamlined processing. And although we didn't use AB 2011, um, the word's harsh, but I will say the threat of AB 2011 uh, was germane to getting the, the, the citizens to lean in toward our project, which allowed the uh, public officials to feel comfortable. And, 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 you know, 
we would have taken the project the state allowed us to do. We could have done a substantially higher density, but the project that we had been working on was one that worked for us. And, you know, we kind of gave the community the uh, opportunity to embrace us in which they did ultimately. So, you know, I, I understand change is difficult for people. Yeah. That I get. Yeah. <laughs> right. So I'd, I'd, I'd like to think that everybody's going to see it my way. And, you know, the second I show them my plans, they're going to ooh and ah and think that I'm, I'm great. That's not how the business works. Right. <laughs> right. This is, this is a lot of meeting and greeting and consensus building uh, with local communities to uh, ultimately come to a project outcome. It's good for all involved. Yeah, agreed. I, I've been to enough of uh, planning commission and city sort of planning meetings where uh, I've witnessed that process um, in great detail. Um, Bill, one of the things is, as you're talking about sort of, you know, how these places are being reinvented and reimagined as, you know, what, what um, you know, strikes me then is this is also a process where you as a company have to go through that through that, you know, path, right? And and reimagine and re-envision how you guys do work also now that you've kind of had this, you know, benefit of kind of looking back over the last couple of decades. Um, how has ShopOp, the company, uh, been evolving? And maybe more specifically, you know, how has the company come out of this sort of latest evolution, um, you know, that started with COVID, but now, you know, going into the new cycle, if you will. It's, great. it's actually a great question. And I would say for us, we've been an ever-evolving company. We started out buying distressed debt. We became land developers. We went back into buying, you know, more commercial existing product. Uh, and I think we've tried to find, you know, where our, our lane is in each of those things. And I think some we've done better than others. Some we've done better than others at different times. And so it's 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 being ever flexible to be able to reinvent oneself. And I, I think that's how we see, you know, our greatest likelihood is, is at success is flexibility. Always being on the lookout for the next good idea that we can figure out how to uh, take advantage of and, and, and fill in a, a niche need. And I, and I think that's where you see ourselves today focusing and that may, may mean today we're doing you know industrial and, and apartments tomorrow that might be something one one might be on and one might be off or we might be doing something entirely different yeah or we might be doing nothing at all because nothing at all is sometimes the right thing to do. <laughs> yes <laughs> uh we tend to want to stay active but sometimes doing nothing is a good thing so um what do you think, um, obviously you have a few of these projects that are on your plate that are going to keep you guys busy, um, but on a sort of grander scheme of things, sort of as you look at uh, the organization sort of uh, over the next, you know, three, five years, you know, strategically, um, where, are, where, are your, where are going to be the areas, where are going to be the areas of focus for you? Well, I, I think... Our job is to perpetually be looking into a crystal ball because if we're doing a development project, you know, any development project, you know, we, we have to go through, you know, period of diligence to, to acquire the site. If we're, if we're entitling it as part of the process, then we've got to go do the entitlement process. And that's, you know, 
that could be one to five years or longer. And then the build process is, you know, two to five years to build out. So, you know, you're, you're talking about timeframes that could be, you know, five to 15 years. We just completed a project that uh, we just sold it in early this year uh, that we bought that land in 2004. So um, you can, you can see that you have to be patient yeah. <laughs> and, you, and you have to be able to reinvent yourself along the way because that project began as a residential project and we aborted that plan and, and, and took it to industrial and had a highly successful execution. So I, I, I said, look, if we only did one thing, we would have missed that opportunity and, and, and had a, you know, enormous success for our partners and ourselves. So I think it's, I think it's being flexible. It's being agile. Um, I, I think whatever you think is working, will work for a few minutes and then something else is going to work. And a few minutes might be weeks, months, years, but in, but in the you know geologic time, it's not very long. Right. <laughs> so, in, in, you know, maybe, maybe I'm thinking of more geologic time. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, but I mean, my career spanned 45 plus years. Uh, and, and, and if I'm not growing, I'm a not challenging myself. And so why would I be here? Uh, because at this point in my career, um, I'm here because I'm still enjoying the challenges. Yeah, I'm not here because I you know need the paycheck. Although I like the paycheck, but I don't need the paycheck. I've hopefully been successful enough to be able to survive without one. Um, but you know we love we love the ability to create value. We love to create an imprint on a community, and you know and, and get good feedback from the community, and do our best to create you know the most favorable project for all concerned. Uh, that doesn't mean we're we're ever striving for everybody to love what we're doing, but we do. We, but we do spend a lot of time building consensus. Yeah, you've hinted at this a little bit earlier in one of your answers, uh, Bill, and you, uh, you know, you know, mentioned that uh, you know next sort of you know six to eighteen months um, are going to be interesting on on so many different levels. Um, I would be I would be remiss not to ask you how do you think the next couple of years are going to unfold, uh, or at least, you know, the next year might unfold, um, what would be in some respects, a positive thing what would be maybe best case scenario, I suppose, um, realistic best, best case scenario. Right. And best case scenario is, it is that inflation is, I'm going to give you best case, not necessarily what, I, I think some of this, but I'll, I'm going to give best. Best case is inflation uh, continues to moderate. The Fed feels no compelling need to uh, raise rates, and in fact, may lower rates at some point in the next, you know, twelve to eighteen months. Um, you know, the economy actually manages along pretty well, uh, and we have some isolated pain points, but it's not a universal suffering. That's best best case. Um, and, and, and we sort of survive an upcoming political season. Uh, you know, we were, we were fortunate we got through the debt crisis. It appears that bills passed the House and Senate, so that you know, it sounds like that's that's behind us. Uh, and, and kudos to uh, all all involved who reached across the aisle to get that done. Because I think it was, you know, it's political theater that's not for our benefit. Uh, we, we would all suffer. Well, they uh, did their did their dance. So grateful grateful they. Uh, we're able to shake hands and make a deal. Um, you know, I think I think the 
you know, the other cases are, you know, look, we have to raise rates, you know, another 50 or 150 basis points puts a pain pressure. Uh, I think that pain pressure becomes a pressure on uh, regional banking system, which is already out of the market. So there's, you know, there's already been this this suction of, of, of capital to just remove from the real estate marketplace because a lot of the regional banks were providers of credit for uh, acquisitions and development and they're gone. Uh, if, you know, not that many businesses failed, you know, you got a couple of bank failures that have all been picked up by other banks, but the, but it's shut down the, the lending platform, you know, as, as, as uh, Dr. Lineman calls it the, the, the lender holiday. Right. Uh, we're in the middle of a lender holiday right now for, for, his language, which is it's pretty accurate. Um, and it's not just that they won't make new loans. You know, normally, you know, I want to extend a loan, great, extend, pay some fees, maybe do, do, do a pay down. But I'm seeing lenders being way more aggressive today. And, and, and you have to assume it's because somebody's being aggressive with them. But I don't think they just had a change of heart and decided they wanted to be difficult today. I think it's largely, um, you know, their balance sheet is being pressured and so they're having to take action. So we've heard anecdotes from a lot of friends of ours in the industry that have been kind of, you know, disconcerting about that. And I think it's, I think this the critical juncture for this is uh, the regional banks have to survive uh, intact. Uh, otherwise, we have uh, braver concerns in my mind. Sure. Sure, sure. Um, if we can pivot as we, you know, close our conversation here, I, I would like to, you know, end on a couple of, you know, personal anecdotes and maybe um, some advice you would give to, you know, people entering the industry, maybe even, you know, advice to your younger self, Bill, um, if you can think of anything um, uh, that would be useful. Uh, be careful of floating rate debt especially in very low interest rate <laughs> environments. Because, uh, you know, I, I, I will say, you know, we always, you know, we like to use debt, but we always want to look at what are our returns without debt. And, you know, in some cases, we're going to take debt off the table. In a lot of cases, we own a lot of our development projects free and clear. Not all of them, but a lot of them free and clear because it gives us staying power to make it through cycles. Um, and, and, and so that'd be one, I, look, I think that, you know, we're going to see some changes in the world. Um, you know, I, I, I think the, uh, population, the demographic shift as we become an older economy is, is how do we manage that? Um, you know, so that'll be another thing that's going to factor in is demographics. Uh, you know, if, if we don't bring immigration back into the fold. And I mean, legal immigration, uh, more than illegal, uh, which is we need workers in this country and we need to, we need to import them from other places. Uh, otherwise I think our demographic timeline is going to be following that of Japan, which is a maturing uh, audience that's going to, uh, uh, time out over, over time. And, you know, it's, it's going to add stress because if you, if you don't have, population growth, you don't have need for more real estate. Right. You can make it with what you got. 
and, and that's not good for an industry <laughs> in any way, right? Obviously, yeah. Well, um, Bill, thank you so much um, for taking the time to speak with us. I really appreciate it and um, stay well. You, you as well. And uh, thank you very much for hosting me today and uh, hope, hope your uh, listeners and viewers uh, found some nuggets in here. That was another episode of the Real Perspectives podcast. And we thank you for taking the time to listen to it. Conversations like these help us comprehend our evolving industry better and hopefully provide a perspective that helps you understand the dynamics of commercial real estate. If you like this episode, please subscribe to our show and tell your colleagues about it. That is the best way to spread the news and help us remain relevant across the industry. Cheers. Cheers.